welcome back to At Source, a community conversation that gets to the origin of matters that affect us the most. I'm your host, Kieran Cook, and together we'll be diving into health and wellbeing, gaining useful insights direct from the source. Andrea Beeman is a natural foods chef, thyroid expert, holistic health coach, and herbalist, dedicated to natural healing and sustainable eating and living. She educates people on how to heal and prevent disease using ancient time-tested wisdom. Andrea is recognized as one of the top 100 most influential people in health and fitness, received the Award for Excellence in Health Supportive Food Education from the Natural Gourmet Institute of Food and Health, and the Health Leadership Award from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I just wanted to say thank you uh, for joining us and me today on the At Source podcast. It's really exciting to have you here with us. And of course, I think that it's so appropriate that you um, are a guest speaker because you really are about, um, you know, integration and integrative nutrition and understanding, taking charge of your health from, you know, inside out, which is such a perfect fit. I think, for the At Source podcast. So, you know, a very warm welcome to you. Thanks for for joining uh, me today. I wanted to start our conversation uh, by just finding out how you personally began on your health and wellness journey. I understand that you were uh, diagnosed with an incurable disease that was thyroid-related, and your doctor recommended that you destroy your thyroid, thyroid with radiation. So I was just interested to hear a little bit about that, how old you were and what you think brought that on as well? Oh, God, that's a great question. Uh, So for me, my thyroid condition at the time that I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed at 28 years old. So that was uh, 26 years ago. So when I was 28, my I had a large goiter in my neck. And my uh, doctor diagnosed me with hypothyroid, um, which is, um, actually no, initially hyperthyroid, which is an overactive ah. thyroid and, and said, listen, you need to take radioactive iodine to destroy this thyroid. Otherwise you're going to have a heart attack. And, and I said, I, I don't want to take radioactive anything. <laughs> right. I was only 28. I was like, and then be on a medication for the rest of my life. I said, I know that my diet and my lifestyle is total crap. I'm not in denial about that. Uh, I said, I think I need to clean up my act. And my doctor said, your diet and your lifestyle have nothing to do with your condition. And I said, okay, I get that. That's what you've been taught, but I, I feel something different. So I left the doctor's office and instead of radiating my thyroid, I changed my diet and my lifestyle. I got off all the junk food, the fast food, the sugar, the four cups of coffee I was drinking a day, <laughs> right? Cause I didn't have any energy and And within three months, I dropped about 20 pounds. I, my hair stopped splitting, my nails stopped splitting, my heart palpitations went away. I could sleep at night. And I was like, oh my God, this is whatever's going on. It's good. And so I go back to my doctor approximately four months later, it was either three or four months later. And I took another blood test and my doctor said, listen, your thyroid is changing, but it's still not normal. You, you got to take this medication. And I said, nah, I said, I'm sleeping well. I lost weight. I'm feeling good. My heart palpitation stopped. My immune system is getting, I, I said, I feel like overall really good. So I'm just going to keep going in this direction. So I 
left that doctor's office and I said, okay, every six months or so, I'll go and get another blood test. Uh, so I did, but with a different doctor each time, right? So <laughs> for a two-year period, I went and I got a new diagnosis. For First, it was the hyperthyroid, and then it was hypothyroid, and then it was Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid condition, which doesn't have a lot to do with the thyroid. It has more to do with the digestive system and your viral loads and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, by the end of my two-year journey, my large goiter that I had disappeared. My mm. thyroid became normal uh, in my blood. Uh, my symptoms had all disappeared. And I no longer had this incurable thyroid disease that needed to have, be on medication for the rest of my life. So um, I'm a firm believer in using diet and lifestyle first before destroying any part of the body. Let's see what happens when you give the body what it needs and let's see how it shows up for you. Because I, I'm under the impression <laughs> or the belief system that the human body is perfectly designed. And when we give it what it needs, it can do its job. And for me, the thyroid was my wake up call to letting me know that my diet, my lifestyle was a mess and that my system was out of balance. And my mm. wise little thyroid gland, which is the master communicator in ancient medicine, this is the ability to speak your truth and speak with grace and wisdom. So this little communicator was telling me, you got to get your act together, sister. <laughs> and yeah. I did. Yeah. 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 I love the way I, you know, when I was doing a little bit of reading about you in those early days, you know, when you were diagnosed, you're like, no freaking way am I actually going to be taking taking anything. And, you know, that, that made me smile. But no, I, I, I totally hear where you're coming from uh, with this inside out. Now, of course, we live in a really fast culture where everything's become sort of snackable. And, and by that, I mean everything. Um, the content that we consume, our attention span, uh, hands to meals in the kitchen. So this, this, and I like the way you say that, you know, you can actually get better and feel better. It isn't going to happen overnight like illness, you say, you know. So it's understanding that if you've got a, uh, you, you are unwell, you're just, a, I guess, clinically unwell, it isn't a quick fix. And so where I'm getting to with this is, do you think people are receptive to that long journey that you're talking about? Or is this just constantly something that you have to educate others about that they are not going to get an instant fix? You have a doctor that's a prescriber, you go in and they prescribe on the pad and it's like, boom, you've got your solution. Do you think that, you know, people are receptive these days to that journey, that health journey? The first question that I have to ask is, how are they feeling after all of the quick fix solutions? Are they feeling better? Are they feeling more vital? Are they feeling energetic and sprite? And did it actually get to the root cause of their condition or... In another six months, were they written a different prescription for a different thing that was now caused by the initial prescription medication, right? So when, when they understand that the writing of the prescription and the taking the quick fix doesn't actually fix anything, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm, <laughs> right? It's not going to reset that arm. Right? It's gonna, you're going to have a mangled arm. It's all crooked. <laughs> so when they understand the concept that popping the pill 
is not going to actually help them feel better in the long run, that's when they hop on board. Or oftentimes I'll see or hear from clients that have tried everything and this medication and that medication and this one over here and that I've been to this doctor and that doctor and the gastroenterologist and that one. And they're just getting bounced around the medical system and not feeling any better. So when that's the case, I say, take it slow, take the longer journey. Right. So there's there's a great quote by um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. And, uh, you know, he's he was an American philosopher and poet. And he said, adopt this the pace of nature. Her secret was patience right? Or it is patience. So we've Mm. become such a quick fix society that's not really fixing anything. Yeah. 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 Our foundations are crumbling. Yeah. 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 We're, yeah. We're moving at such a pace that we become conditioned to sort of speed and instantness. And I think, uh, like you're saying, you've sort of got to take a step back. So you're, you've shared in a really powerful way how your own body improved as you focused on a change with your lifestyle. And you talk about reducing sugar, reducing fast food. Um, what else? Caffeine. <laughs> Caffeine. So you, so no coffee? You don't do even one a day in the morning? No. Um, I do maybe once a week or once every two weeks, sometimes once a month, depending. But I'm not – I. I use coffee as a um, a fun a fun food when I'm, I want to be kicked up to the roof. <laughs> right? so where I used to drink three to four cups per day because I didn't have any energy. So I was using yeah. the coffee to stimulate me into action because my body didn't have energy to get moving. Right. So now I know. Yeah, I, I know that coffee mm. is a drug. I'm aware of that. And mm. sometimes I'll have it um, if I go to a wedding. Right. And we have yeah. to dance it's until two o'clock in the it's morning. It's kind of a treat <laughs> yeah, to keep you. It's a treat to keep sort of to keep you going. Like you're recognizing that it, it does give you that spike in energy, but it doesn't give you the sustained, the sustained energy, which is what we need really all day long. Um, that's going to keep you going, right? That natural sustained energy. That's right. So very interesting. And so you talk about, you know, losing weight, having more energy, and just really feeling all the the benefits, and I and I love the way from a sort of a. I wonder whether your doctor actually, or a series of doctors actually fired you. They're like, you know what, <laughs> she's off the register. She's not listening to me because <laughs> you kept like you know every six months kind of reinventing yourself um, with the medical professionals. So in terms of the work that you do now, um, I mean, I can see you. You know, you're very engaged in person. And you're also very busy online and you have a lot of online activity. Um, you know, you're obviously working with a bunch of different people and like, you know, working professionals and probably young people and older people. What, what are some of your sort of success stories? Oh, well, I can't, I can't call them my success stories. You know, like I don't take credit for anybody's healing journey. Uh, mm. I'm the guidepost and I can point someone in the right direction or I can't even say the right direction in an alternative direction from the one that they are going. And then if they choose to take that on, then they are responsible for their healing journey. 
right? So I don't take credit for the successes and the failures of my clients, although I have to say there's a lot of successes. (laughs) (laughs) They start to take care of themselves and they understand that they, you know, like they just go into the right direction and they feel it in their body. And once they feel energy that they didn't have before, sleeping at night that they weren't doing before, right? If they were up all night sleeping, um, enjoying food, not being on like a restrictive, um, horrible tasting diet, because that's not what this is about, Um, enjoying food and feeling well, like mental clarity, understanding, awareness around food, around lifestyle, around um, their experience in the human body that they're living in, right? When they get to that space, uh, their, their healing takes on a whole different dimension. A whole day. Now we're looking at an entire person's life that has been transformed just by simply Mm. taking on their health and their wellness. Now they start to view the world in a whole different way. And that must be so rewarding from a sort of a transformational point of view to see that journey play out, right? Either face to face or um, online. And I suspect that that's the psychic pay that you get around the work that you do. Yeah, you know, it's it's um I, I feel like I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing in the world. Uh, you know, it's nice to get the validation and the people that tell me, oh, my life has changed. I didn't have to get this surgery, or I saved my gallbladder, or I, you know, I I I keep my breasts there where they are, they you know, I got rid of the lumps or whatever journey that they have had, the success. It's always nice to hear that stuff, but I, I don't need the validation that um, that they're having the healing in order for me to know that I'm on my journey sure. as a practitioner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, it sure. does feel good. I can't deny that. It feels really good when a client says, oh, my God, I just came back from the doctor and my cholesterol is, is it, you know, normal and my heart is feeling good. And, you know, all of that stuff feels really good. There's no denying that on the spiritual plane, like you said, you know, in the karma. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And I just had a client the other day. I always get shocked when I hear these stories, just like it shocks me. And I hear them so often that I'm still surprised that I'm shocked by them. But I had a client Mm -hmm. who has been struggling with uh, a condition since the time she's 14 years old and she had her spleen removed. And then when we were in a subsequent conversation, she said, and um, my doctor told me that while he was in the cavity, they took my, um, took my appendix out because they said I didn't need it, right? Let's, while we're in here, let's take this out too. And that's not the first time that I've heard that. And I'm always shocked. And I'm like, I is that what they're teaching people in, in medical school? Or is like, I don't want to get angry at the doctors, but that to me is, um, it's wrong on so many levels, right? Mm-hmm. The human body- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, you know, I actually thought we would have evolved now beyond that because if you think back to old dentistry, right, when you were at school and you had these routine dental checks, rip it out, you know, everything was about let's just get those teeth out now. And, you know, we had a whole generation of, of people who now as adults are missing teeth or let's fill that up, you know, it's, it needs a filling. And I've certainly seen it here in New Zealand with this sort of how dentistry was and then if you compare it as to how dentistry is now, you know, our kids, this new generation are getting very different kind of treatment orally 
But I would have thought that kind of evolution would have gone right through, you know? So this getting rid of making these great, you know, big decisions about where well, you don't need that, I'm, I'm actually a little surprised. Yeah. Well, you know, like in, in America, uh, in the 1970s, we had a whole rash of people just taking out the, um, uh, not, not the thyroid, that's what's happening now. <laughs> but, <No>. um, <laughs> you know, the, um, oh my gosh, I'm having a brain, brain. Es esophagus or something. Yeah. No, not the esophagus. <laughs> the first part of the immune system. Uh, in the throat. I know it's, they were taking them out like crazy. Then they would give you ice cream uh, at the end of it. Um, oh, on, oh on tonsils. 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 Yes, thank you. Yeah. So it's, you know, like they were taking them out like crazy. If you I went know. to the doctor and you had a sore throat, out came the tonsils. If you <laughs> uh, had a cough, yeah. out came the tonsils. And now they do 95% less tonsillectomies than they did in the 1970s. But now... There's a rash of thyroidectomies happening where they're just mm. ripping out the thyroid. And already the studies are coming out five years into this, taking out the thyroid that oh, let's let's leave that. You know, the, the even thyroid cancer is mostly localized. Right. It's not going to spread to the rest of the body, at least 99 percent of the time. So they're now coming into the consciousness. OK, let's let's not rip that out either. But still, how many people have to suffer through losing an organ, yeah. losing without having any other option? Yeah, it's it, I know it's just sort of like the learnings aren't really there over the over the, the generations. Right. And and as you say, people become like experiments, walking experiments. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Totally. Um, you're being a bit modest here today because you have been recognised as one of the top 100 most influential people in health and fitness. So when you say that, you know, it's lovely to hear that you're not doing it for the external sort of rafts of glory. But I mean, you have been recognised externally and um, you've also received an award for excellence in health supportive food education from the Natural Gourmet Institute for Food and Health and Health Leadership. So you know, you, you have really achieved some incredible things. And, and that's often the case with people who aren't out seeking glory. They often do really great work and, and by default end up getting some amazing achievements under their belt. I, I just wanted to ask you uh, about something that you wrote um, where you mentioned that we, we all have powerful healing wisdom within us, but you have to feed it at all levels that make you human, physical, emotional, energetic and spiritual to do its best work. So I'm interested to hear a little bit more about this. You know, how do we feed ourselves on all of these levels and take control of our life? That's a great question, Karen. So you spoke about it earlier, you know, the quick fix, right? Where everything's got to happen really, really quickly. The human evolution and the consciousness of human beings in general is, you could see it's slow. It takes time. So when you're working on feeding all levels of your human experience, I like to start with the physical body because we're inside a physical body, right? So when I get someone to care about their physical body that they're living in, right? They stop abusing it. They stop feeding it crap. They take care of it. They take it out for a walk, like as if you had a dog, right? Take it out for a walk. You take it to the park. Um, 
So when I get them reconnected back to their physical body, well, the physical body is just the first step because what's inside the physical body, what's encased in this thing that is housing our emotional body and our spiritual body, as well as our energetic body, right? So we're not this one-dimensional thing, right? We, we are multi-dimensional creatures here on this planet and we're having this experience. So to feed all levels, I like to start with the physical because people understand that really well because they're inside a physical body. And oftentimes, um, I'll hear from clients that tell me that they're unconsciously shoveling food into their mouth, right? Especially the ones that are gaining a lot of weight, unconsciously just shoveling, shoveling, shoveling food in their mouth. And it's because the emotional body is trying to come up. It's trying to tell them something. And the food acts as the um, suppressor, right? Fill up the system, fill it up, keep filling it up with stuff so that we can't hear what the emotional or the spiritual body is saying. So if you look at um, religions around the world and in for thousands of years, what did they do at certain times of the year? They would actually fast from food and the fasting process would free up the body. It would empty the vessel, so to speak, empty it so that you could get insight into- Yes. Guidance. Which way should I go? What should I do? Like if you're stuffed full of ice cream pops and and pizza, (laughs) you're going to dampen the system. But if the system is empty and clear, you'll have greater insight from whatever sources are available to you. And it's, you know, Mm. you have to um, be open to receiving. Right. So are you are you a proponent, you know, to fast? Are you sort of pro fasting? Oh, yeah. I think especially in the springtime, it's great to, to fast. But at certain times of the year, um, quarterly, it's nice to do a fast. And even, you know, like I know that intermittent fasting is like all the rage in the health and wellness communities now. Mm. But classically, we did that all night. You would stop eating at 6 p.m. And then you wouldn't eat again until 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. What is that? It's a fast. Yeah. It's literally a fast. Yeah. But with the advent of technology, which I'm not knocking technology, look at us, you're in New Zealand, I'm in New York City right now, right? This is the beauty of technology. But with technology, you could stay up all night long in front of the TV or in front of the computer and nosh on food and right, just keep your mind busy instead of in a fasting state. Fasting from um, this, fasting from the computers, mm. fasting from food, fasting from the outside world, right? Mm, so yeah, I'm, right, I'm a big that's proponent right. of fasting. Yeah, well, in, in my culture, we only fast once one day in the year, so you can imagine the challenge that I have around fasting. But oh, seriously, I do sort of fast sixteen eight, and I find it's uh, pretty pretty easy. And as you point out, it's not that out of line with our natural um, sort of system anyway. When we sleep and we wake, and I personally don't have any problems waiting until two p.m. to eat, but I've never really been a big breakfast person, so for me, it's kind of easy. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, definitely it's it's a big topic. Uh, you talk about uh, spirituality, so I'm interested in what this actually does mean for you. Um, it's really interesting listening to you talking about this physical world that we live in and our physicality, but that in itself is quite one dimensional. It's not really enough, and this has been a theme that's really come through 
with the at source podcast a lot of the a lot of the guests that I talked to they started in the physical domain but their practice actually evolved over time to include a lot more and you touch on this you know with your reference to the spiritual and the emotional and the psychological so they start you know as personal trainers or in the they, they, their own sense of self betterment was around i need to look leaner i need to look more buff or whatever but they found themselves still feeling quite sort of empty so let's zone in on the spiritual piece what does it mean for you and do you personally believe in a higher purpose in life big question that's a big question how much time do we got <laughs> Well, exactly what you said. It started in the physical and then it went deeper. I was working at um, MTV Networks at the time of my physical transformation into a healthier body. And when I was at MTV Networks, there's music coming out of every single office. This was back in the 90s, right, when they played music. There was music coming out of every office, everywhere that you went around. There was music all over the place. In my home, when I came home, I had 500 CDs. There was TV going all the time. And as the body got well, there was a something missing. And I kept feeling like there's something missing. There's I need to tap into something else. So my friend Jason had recommended a book called Pieces Every Step. And he's like, listen, just start to do some meditation. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. Right up my alley. I'll start with meditation. So I started with meditation and I couldn't do it, Karen. I couldn't. I couldn't sit for five minutes. It was torture mm. because of all of the stuff and all the noise and all of the congestion that was already living inside my system. And it took six months, literally, of sitting every single day to finally get to the point where my mind got quiet. And when my mind got quiet and I actually went into that meditative space, there was a connection that I cannot deny that I felt that I was intuitively connected to every single thing in the entire universe. Now, it's a very big thought, and it was um, a thought that I still have with me today that I feel completely and totally connected to everything in the universe. And for me, that means that I have a feeling or a belief that this energy that is what I call Andrea is eternal, even though my physical body will die eventually at some point. So I don't have the normal fear of death. I, of course, I have a fear of death like everyone, but I don't have the normal fear of death that this is the end. Like once my body is done, then that's the end of the everything. I don't believe that at all because of this deeper connection to this energy that I tapped into 25 years ago that I still tap into today, especially when on a daily basis. I, I know that I couldn't possibly be in the world today with all of the conflicting information and all of the stuff that's going on without that sense of peace and understanding. Um, so for me, spirituality is not a religion. It's a deeper connection or a deeper feeling to um, what I believe is what you said, uh, a source, right? A higher power, um, you know, and mm. uh, it's, it's everyone has their own personal belief system. And that for me 
works and it helps me get through the day and through the life really happily actually you know with mm. no matter what's going on you know like i know that people are coming in and going out all the time so um the whole fear that's been in the world for the past two years i simply don't have it yeah i mean i think life's pretty transactional as you say there's lots going on doors opening doors closing uh, there's ton, tons of change going on, particularly now with the pandemic and so forth. So I think, you know, we're in a state of flux, actually. And I think as, you know, people, we are looking for ways to sort of stay connected or to feel even to have a sense of belonging. Because, you know, the minute that you go into a forced isolation or there's constraints around your movements to the point where it really deeply affects your lifestyle, you know, that's when a lot of the sort of the psychological issues in the uh, the toughness kind of starts. And if you don't have something that's going to keep you hinged, then, you know, life does become a little more challenging. I mean, just speaking to en the endurance of, of effort, I mean, the work that you do anyway continues to live on. I mean, you've been working 20 plus years, you know, educating and inspiring people to be better versions of themselves, I guess. That's one way of summing it up. I mean, that work lives on, right? It has its own life anyway. So there's nothing, you know, sort of stale or dead end about that sense of purpose. So I was reflecting on what you're saying. Yeah, that's great. And I'd like to hire you as my marketing person because you were able to sum it up really well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, you found something. That's what I do every day for a living. So uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> apart from these these fabulous podcasts, the podcasts are the highlight of, of the of the spin-off of the marketing role. Um, all right, so so great conversation. Good, good to chat. Uh, let's keep going. So you talk and you do you do touch on uh, tech technology, and you you do you summed up very nicely that it's difficult to switch off um, and focus on the mental well-being. And you've talked about the purpose for you meditating, and I really like your honesty about finding it hard to sit still for five minutes. Um, I'm going to put my hand up right here and go. I really struggle to sit still for five minutes. I think people have got to find, and I'm interested in your take on this, that something that helps them to, to be still. So for quite a while, I always sort of said, well, you know, I go for a run. It's kind of like being still for me is my mind sort of switches off when I go for a run. So it's not so much the action, it's how it makes me feel because I'm running in a line, a straight line. So it doesn't require a lot of dexterity or overthinking like a step class or something, um, which I'd probably like loose teeth on. But, you know, lately I've been floating and finding ways to be still in a tank, in a dark tank. Um, yeah, just completely suspended in the water for an hour and you hear a little condensation sometimes. But apart from that, nothing kind of breaks the silence. And for me, I found that floating gives me that sense of stillness that you're talking about when you sit still for five or 10 minutes and your mind goes completely still. So there's got to be something for hypos like me, if I can float for an hour and the time goes by, there's, right, there's got to be something for everybody. Yes. Not everybody can sit, like you said, and it can be really difficult, especially for an on-the-go society all the time. We're a 24-hour society. So the, I love the flotation tanks. I think that's fantastic. 
you know, even if somebody can't afford the flotation tanks because they can, you know, be expensive, just like going away to a meditation retreat can be expensive. So even if they can't do that, just simply floating in the ocean or in a lake that's very still, it, mm. it can give you that sense, right? Because, you know, you're, you can't, you can't be on the lake with this phone. Yeah. I remember just a funny aside. I mean, I, I'd say you can, but I don't know if you had the experience. I, I remember going fishing, trout fishing on a lake uh, in the middle of the North Island. And my partner at the time loathed fishing and he had his phone. And while I was fishing, he had a fishing game on and he was going like this with his phone. I caught one. I caught one. So, I mean, that that's the problem with technology. There always seems to be a bit of a, a distraction or a, yes. a go-to. But no, I mean, good, good point that, you know, these things can be expensive and not a viable ongoing solution. I mean, I tend to go and float when I'm maxed. I don't feel like I need to do it every week. But it's like if I if I'm feeling a little maxed, I know that if I go for an hour and I do that, I'm gonna I'm gonna get the benefits. Um, so let yeah, let, let's they're gonna they do they do last, you know. I mean, um, I, I wanted to just kind of pivot now to wholesome foods because this is something that you talk about a lot, and you've done obviously a lot of work in this space. You are a chef, a nationally renowned holistic health coach, and natural foods chef. So look, it's uh, a big space that you're working in and you, you, you support the idea of seasonal, local and organic. And you made a very nice little point that eating well doesn't mean that you have to eat badly, like boring, tasteless foods with no butter, I'm thinking, because I'm a big fan of butter. Um, and you talk about, you know, really just having a passion for eating well. Um, and I know that you do a lot of online work in this space with food, um, and you've actually have an eating and a recipe guide, better food, better health, and health as well. So tell me a little bit about eating for peaceful mindset, because this is something you touch on. Okay, so we are what we eat. Like I know that everybody's great-grandmother said that. You are what you eat, right? So we become our food on a cellular level, meaning everything that we eat is broken down into smaller components and it's digested and absorbed by us. It doesn't just pass right through us. So that means that physically, energetically, vibrationally, even spiritually, we are what we eat. So um, let's talk about the chickens that are kept in a um, factory farm no access to sunshine, in cramped quarters, um, probably not healthy. They're not getting exercise every day, no sunshine. Um, they're stressed out. This is not the chicken that I want inside my body, right? So first and foremost, we have to look at the food as this energetic thing that's going to vibrate inside of us. So the stressed out chicken that's on a ton of antibiotics, if I'm eating those eggs or if I'm eating that chicken breast or whatever it is, I'm going to absorb that energetically. So first and foremost, oh, and on the spiritual level, you know, like keeping those little chickens contained like that and not giving them freedom is like, I think spiritual karma, not good. 
So, you know, give them their, their free reign, let them go into the pasture and eat the grubs and the bugs and all that stuff and get the exercise and have some fun with the rooster, whatever the hell they want to do, you know, but really we have to start looking at our food is literally becoming us. So if we're eating food that is doused in chemicals and pesticides, what are the chemicals and the pesticides? What do they do? They're designed to kill bugs. So what's the difference between me and a bug? Size. So what's designed to kill the bug will happen very quickly in the bug, but it'll happen long-term in the human being. So we know, we're not in denial about this anymore, that the pesticides and the fungicides and the herb, they're all endocrine disruptors. And look what's happening with the endocrine system of the human being. All Mm -hmm. the cancers that are popping up, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's not rocket science that we, we have these such high rates of disease and we're putting all this contaminated food into our system that is literally becoming us. So yeah. I, I'm a big fan of eating clean food, naturally raised food, food that is um, raised with love and integrity. And I don't want the chicken or the cow or even the apple that is raised out of integrity. I want it to be raised well. Because I know that that's going to become me on a cellular level. And that's going to feed all of my organs and all of my systems, including my brain. Yeah, interesting. So, and you talk about, you know, living a sustainable life and having sustainable nutrition, which touches a little into the ethics that you're sort of talking about here. What What's your personal view on uh, NAB meat? Clean, they call it clean meat. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> Not for you. No. So, so yeah. I mean, they talk. They talk. Yeah. So, so is it is it that you don't feel like it's optimal nutritionally? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, obviously, there's a lot of thinking, you know, behind the the goodness factor, and they stretch it. Oh, they kind of move the meat over a stretcher to keep it, you know, exercised and flexed, and you know. But I mean, what do you think? Because I mean, there's a lot of lot of debate in the nutritional space about lab meats going to be staples for people and then having a good quality piece of steak will be something that people reserve as a treat. So it's got to kind of flip on its head. That'll be for the elite. <laughs> so you you think the costs will be prohibitive going forward, right, for it to be a real rollout for all? Yeah, well, not only that, um, if you were born in the lab, like let's say test tube, right, let's say you're born in the test tube, then that's the right food for you. If you were born out of a human being um, in a natural way, then the food on the planet that is outside of the lab is the better food for you. So, um, and that's a, a much deeper thought. I'm going on the surface with that, but it's a much deeper thought that um, we have been living unsustainably for a long time. So, if let's say, Let's say you connect with your local farmers, right? You connect with your local farmers and your local farmer has the chickens and has the meats and has all the stuff. And then you get all your vegetables and whatever your grains and your beans, and you start to make meals that are sustainable. Like instead of having just a gigantic lump of ribeye on the plate, right? You make that so that the it's smaller pieces of meat and you put some vegetables in there and you put some grains in there and you put some beans in there and you have some fruits on the side, right? Then it becomes more sustainable. But we've been living in an unsustainable 
way for a long time that that's what we're used to. You go outside, you can get a whole bucket of chicken and that's your dinner, right? Mm. Yeah, (laughs) so you just don't have that diversity. The diversity is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, and that's not good for our gut, right? So there's there's been a whole wave of gut microbiome science coming out. And the more diverse the food that goes into your gut, the more diverse your microbiome. That's the thing that feeds your microbiome. If you're only eating one type of food over and over and over and over and over again, pizza, a bucket of chicken, right? Just over and over. Mm. You're only feeding a small type of uh, bacteria in your gut. And you want to have a diverse microbiome. I know. In order to- there's, I know. The flip side of that, though, and it's not, a, I don't think it's a great thing as you hear about, you know, celebrities like Kim Kardashian, she just ate chicken nuggets and ran on a, and apparently that's all she eats is chicken nuggets. She's got this personal chef. Uh, she, you know, she, to get into that Marilyn Monroe dress, she was on the treadmill in a wetsuit for two weeks, sweating it out. But her general diet, you know, and a lot of people to keep their weight down works out that they have just chicken or steak for breakfast or steak. There's this kind of mono approach even at the other end of the health you know people talk about clean eating and then they overdose on protein uh, and they live a a very heavy ketogenic lifestyle which you know I wonder long term it's got to put load right on the body so that diversity and you're nodding so you obviously know exactly what I'm talking about here the diversity and this is something that comes through so strongly in these uh in these conversations is that seasonal produce, eat what's in season, that actually there is good bacteria for microbiome health. You know, you don't have to overly clean the veggies, that bacteria that's, you know, yeah, and the, and the veggies is good for gut health. And just the diversity of foods is so important for us as humans. 100%. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, you get the grand prize. It's so important <laughs> and it's something that is missing. You know, like it's, it's missing. Yeah. And it's missing because we have set up these institutions of the mono agriculture, like one farm is making, I don't know, 800 acres of kale, (laughs) right? One farm. I hate kale. (laughs) God, I hate kale. (laughs) Yeah. We need need a diverse uh, food system. We don't don't have it. Uh, You know, like everything is like, if you go into the supermarket, everything is wheat, 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 right? In every single box or soy, 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 Hey, you know, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, I'm a big fan of seasonal eating. And if we actually eat seasonally, not everything grows all year round. There are times when the roots grow better than the leaves. There are times when there's more abundance of chicken and eggs and beef than others, right? So those are the cycles and the seasons of the planet that we're living on that actually sustains us. And when we forget that we're connected to this living system, which is the earth, and we say, oh, you know what? Let's just go against the whole entire thing and do something else. We get out of balance, which we're seeing now. Yeah, and you talk about ancient time-tested wisdom as sort of in, in, integrated into your own practice, and that really that really resonates with me. And, you know, the way that you explain it, it makes so much sense and it seems simple, but yet as humans we seem to just screw it up all the time. You know, we just struggle. 
you know, to kind of do what's good for us and use time-tested wisdom in our daily lives. Um, great. All right. So, I mean, I'm a parent. I'm on the go all the time. You know, I want to provide good nutrition for my family. I have a teenage daughter who absolutely loathes anything green. Uh, how, do, how do parents, you know, and she's not a foodie. So how do you actually, uh, you know, as, as, as parents, you know, bringing up kids these days where they just want to eat Taco Bell on Eats, these are very real challenges for parents. So how do, we, how do we educate our kids to understand goodness and things that do the right thing, do what's good for you and what foods we put in front of them? So it's interesting. Uh, when my nephews were growing up, I would bring them into the kitchen to cook with me. I would have them chop up the vegetables. I'd give them a little paring knife, you know, because it was too big for them to have a chef knife. I'd give them a little paring knife. They would cut up the vegetables. And when they were engaged in the cooking process, they were yeah. more invested in it. And every single time they were like, this is the best, you know, because they made it. So you yeah. bring them in when they're little and they'll carry that into their adulthood. Like both of my nephews, they eat junk food. They go out and eat, eat junk food. But the majority of the food that they actually eat is really great quality. Mm, it's such, you're, you're bang on. You're bang on because my daughter had to do a potato salad for school. So all of a sudden she got invested in the kitchen and I was in shock because I've had sort of 14 years of serving, you know, servicing her like a princess. All of a sudden she wanted to know, how do I make this potato salad? She was all over it. I don't even think she knew how to put a pot on the, you know, pot, boil the water. So we were like 101. And so she made that potato salad several times. And as soon as she made the salad, she's like eating it and she's appreciating it. So I think, you know, I kind of knew the answer to that question, but you had to kind of extrapolate it a little bit, but, you know, for me to go, oh yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And again, as, as, as kids stuck to screens and busy parents, actually bringing kids into the kitchen is a challenge. It's not as easy as, as one would think. So you do a lot of really interesting online courses and some of these are related to being in the kitchen, right? Prepping and, and cooking and enjoying good food. Tell me just quickly a little bit more about that, what you're offering. Well, I have a, a variety of online courses and one of them is um, using food as medicine. And it's literally um, with people in the kitchen and we start with the number one killer in the world and it's heart disease, right? So beyond COVID, which has taken all the headlines, heart disease is still the number, or cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer. So that's the first class that I cover. And I, I take them through a cardiovascular supporting meal. And we do it, you know, this is the main dish and this, and it's, um, you know, it's just showing them that cooking doesn't have to be complicated. Recipes don't have to be complicated. Ingredients don't have to be complicated. Mm. They can be simple. And I also really encourage people to get connected to their local farmers, connect, especially mm. with what's going on with the food supply. Mm. If you're connected to your local farmers, you'll be ensured that you will always have food. How do you do that though in big cities? How do you do that in big cities? I'm in New York City. So I there's there's a lot of different ways to get connected to your local farmers. Like in America, we have something called localharvest.org um, where you can find a farmer near you by putting in your zip code. You can okay. also like go to a local farmer's market. Like they have mm. them all over the world. Go to a local farmer's market and you check in with the farmers that are there and ask them, do you have a CSA? Are you guys part of a community supported agriculture that I could buy into? Because if you connect 
that way, then you're going to have food for the whole year. Yeah. So what do you do in New York City? I'm just interested. Like, I mean, yeah. Like, how are you wrangling this? And I know New York pretty well. I used to live in Philadelphia, actually. So how do you wrangle that? Oh, well, I don't wrangle it. I just pay the farmer directly and she brings her truck down and she has three stops in the city where she you'll get your box of food for the week. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think. I mean, New Zealand's clean and green and we've got, a, you know, an amazing uh, food chain here. But I'm just trying to think. I mean, we have farmers markets, but you do need in most cases to do a bit of a drive to get to them on the weekends. Uh, but definitely they're there. I don't know that we have that that sort of level of sophistication where we'd get delivery from a, a cohort of farmers and you'd get set up for the week. It's a really nice idea. Maybe it's an opportunity. Um, it's an opportunity. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I'm a little busy to pick that one up, but uh, it's a great <laughs> idea. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, look, it's been um, amazing to talk with you. You're everything that I thought you were going to be. High energy. You look fantastic, sparkling and radiant. And... Uh, you know, your work kind of speaks for itself. And um, I just wanted to say, you know, it's been a great chat. I've learned some some things, which I always do when I jump on these sorts of chats. Um, is there anything, anything, anything we've missed? Is there anything you want to just throw in there at the end? You know, I'm 54 this year. Actually, I'll be 55 coming up. Uh, but um, I think the plan is just to continue living life at a nice, easy, breezy pace and actually... Um, doing a little bit less, you know, like uh, not having to rush out and do all the things all the time and and maybe just do a little bit less with, um, I think that's about it. But nice. I'll always, yeah, I'll always continue to do stuff uh, with people all the time because I feel that as long as I'm alive and breathing and in this human body, I'll be teaching up until the very end. You know, like yeah. that's just my gut instinct that, you know, because I'm always learning and growing and it doesn't stop. The learning never stops no. as long as you're open and receptive. So I'm, I'm continuing totally. to learn and then I'll continue to teach. Well, if you can slow down in New York City and get that, the peace and quiet that you're talking about, you would have done a fantastic job because it's one heck of a busy city. But it's just it great is. to have you be beam in here to New Zealand today and to join us. And uh, we do here at Nature Bee, just wish you all the best for a very healthy, happy year ahead. Oh, thanks, Karen. You too. Thank you for tuning in. The Ad Source Podcast has a community of over 5,000 listeners worldwide, and we would love to hear from you. If you would like to support the show, please give us a rating and review, or get in touch via email in the show notes to give us feedback or just say hi. Are you experiencing fatigue and tiredness? Nature Bee has the solution for long, sustained energy with potentiated power pollen. The capsules are filled with bee pollen, which are rich in micronutrients to support many aspects of human health. These products are developed in line with Nature Bee's belief that people are at their healthiest when they nourish their bodies on the inside and the outside with natural or naturally based products. Head over to naturebee.com to try your power pollen capsules today. At Source Podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions. 
Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.